Well, hey, Cornerstone, how you guys doing this weekend? Good? Cool, man. Thrilled you guys are here. I want to give a shout out real quick to the Santan campus. If you're watching at the five o'clock or joining us online, thrilled you guys are in the room hanging out with us. Uh, believe it or not, it's been like three years since I've been on this stage hanging out with you guys, man. So um, it's just... It's super good to be back in the room hanging out with you. For those of you who don't know, my name is Paul Alexander. Um, I actually used to serve on staff here at Cornerstone about three, three and a half years ago. And my wife and family and I were here for about four years on the team and got to be a part of an incredible season of ministry here at Cornerstone. And man, uh, we love you. And we're so glad that you are a part of our story and I'm a part of yours. And it's, it's fun for me to like look around the room and see faces that I'm familiar with and say, man, it's so cool to see people that I know and I love and I've journeyed with. Um, and so it's also cool though at the same time to see people around the room that are like, you're just new. I've never seen you in my entire life. Um, and it's cool for me. And the reason why is, is this. It's, it helps me know that as a community of believers called Cornerstone, you're still on mission with Jesus. It helps me know that you're still loving and, and following Jesus and you're still worried and concerned about the kingdom of God taking ground in this community and in your hearts and that, that you still believe at your core that you're not just here for yourself, but you're here for people who don't yet know this Jesus that we know and we love and we follow. And man, I'm just say that's one of the things I've always loved about you, Cornerstone, that you're willing to put your own personal preferences of things aside in order to reach people who are far from Jesus. And man, it's just, I love you, man. It's, it's so good to be back in the room hanging out with you this weekend. And so, hey, uh, let's jump into the conversation. We're picking up in the middle of a teaching series called What I Hate About the Bible. And in this series, we've been asking some pretty tough questions, uh, honestly, about the Bible. You know, how come bad things happen to good people? How come the Bible is so hard to understand? Why, 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 don't, why doesn't everybody go to heaven? And if you've missed out on this conversation, you owe it to yourself to go back online and get caught up in the conversation and kind of, kind of get caught up to speed to, to where we're at. And the thing that people hate about the Bible that we're going to dig into with one another this weekend is this issue of rules. It's this issue of rules. Because I don't care if you're four years old or 40 years old, no one in the room likes to be told what to do. How many of you guys got little kids? Yeah. Try telling your four-year-old what to do. How's that usually go? Yeah, not all that doesn't always go really well all the time. It just, it just doesn't. Uh, how many of you guys in this room, just, just figure out who's in the room here real quick. How many of you guys in the room, you would say uh, that you're, you're rules adverse. That's, let's put it politically correct. Uh, you think rules were made to be broken. How many of that's you? I just get a sense of who's in the room. Okay, you think rules are made to be broken, that they're, they're, they're blurry lines, not clear lines, that, that uh, the rules don't apply to you, that, uh, that there, was, there were suggestions. Maybe they're metaphorical. They're not necessarily real. How many of you guys in the room need to know I'm a, I'm a rules-oriented person? Like, the, the rules are there for a reason. There's directions that should be followed. There's procedures that should happen. Things should happen in you know, conceptual order and all this stuff like that. Yeah, you're a rules person. Okay, listen, uh, I'm in a stage of life that fortunately for me, um, my kids right now are rules-oriented, okay? Now, I understand, for those of you who have adolescents and beyond, that this won't always be the case in my world, but it is right now. I have a 9-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 5-year-old, a 7-month-old, and a minivan, okay? And so I've, yeah, I've, I've completely turned in my man card, and my life is, is just over as we know it. Um, no, we, we figured out where they come from, and we took care of that. And so here's the deal. Um, we... 
I have four kids, and right now it's funny. They come out of the womb, and they're like little communists. I don't know if you ever noticed this about, but they come out of the womb, and they're like, everything's about fairness with little kids, right? So in my home right now, they're like, they're freaking out. If one gets a toy and the other doesn't get a toy, they think there's something wrong with the world, okay? If one of them gets more attention from mom and dad than the other gets from mom and dad, all of a sudden it's it's like on like Donkey Kong. It is a fight in the Alexander household if one kid gets something that the other kid doesn't. It's all about fairness right now, and it's all about rules. For those of you who are in the room and you don't have kids right now, Listen, all that, those old adages that you hear about as a parent, you have to have eyes in the back of your head. It's a lie. You don't. You just have to have more than one child. Okay. And so because, and everybody who has more than one child, you get what I'm saying, right? I don't have to worry about if the rules are being followed in the Alexander household because they will come and tell me. Right? I mean, they're, they're, if, if somebody steps out of line just a little bit, the sibling will come and tell me, did you know that Kennedy didn't brush her teeth tonight? And did you know Lincoln didn't clean up after the dog? I mean, someone didn't flush the toilet, whatever it is. I mean, every little teeny thing that goes out of line, they tell me. I don't have to worry about it because there are rules-oriented coming out of the womb until the rules begin to apply to them. And once the rules begin to apply to them, I mean, it's, it's, there's 15 reasons why it, 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 it didn't get followed. And what's funny is this, that, that as adults, we're, we're, we're kind of like that. We're okay with the rules until they apply to us. And then when the rules begin to apply to us, all of a sudden, what's amazing, what we can talk ourselves into and, and, and out of. Listen, some of us in this room today... Some of us in this room, we're, 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 we're oriented towards religion and following the rules. Some of us in the, ru- in the room, we're very irreligious and we're oriented towards freedom. And let me just say, this conversation is going to go poor for both of us, okay? All of us in the room. Because listen, listen, because following Jesus, following Jesus is, is not about religion, nor is it the absence of religious devotion. It's It's something different. Following Jesus, it's not about rules, nor is it the absence of rules and complete freedom. It's it's something altogether different. Now look, I, I get why people in general have a perception about Christianity in the Bible that says, you know, Christianity is just a religion of of rules. I, I, I can understand how people can come to that general perception. I mean, after all, the first five books of the Bible that you have, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, what's commonly referred to in church world as the the law of Moses or the Pentateuch or the Torah, uh, typically all that, it has 613 rules just in the first five books of the Bible. That's, that's, That's a lot of rules. 248 rules of things we should be doing and 365, one for every day of the year, of things we shouldn't be doing. So, I mean, it's, it's easy for me to understand how someone's general perception of Christianity could be, it's just a religion of rules. All it is, it's about people becoming more moral and, and following the rules. And if I become a more moral person, and, and the more I follow the rules, the more God will like me, the better my life will be. It's just this, it's this economy exchange of rule following and blessing with God. 
And I can understand, because of the world that you and I live in, that we don't like to be told what to do, particularly North America, that it'd be easy to come to the conclusion that, that this Bible is really frustrating and really something that we don't want to adhere to because most of us don't like to be told what to do. But could it be? Could it be that God gave us rules, God gave us parameters, God gave us guidelines not to bum us out, not to put us, his thumb on us, not to control us, not to bum us out, but, but to bless us? Could it be that God sees what we don't? Now listen, we're not the first people on the planet to have a problem with rules. All throughout the history of, of, of mankind, man has thought rules were pretty ridiculous. In fact, you go back to the very beginning of time, Adam and Eve in the garden, the first two people that God ever created, the Bible says they were free. They, let me just say, they were so free, they were so uninhibited, they were running around naked. So when I say they were free, I mean they were free. It was a party, you know what I'm saying? And God gave them one rule. One measly little rule. Not 613. One rule to follow. And they couldn't even get that right. Alright? So let's take a look. If you've got a copy of your scriptures, open them up to the book of Genesis. It's super easy to find. It's the first book of your Bible. If you're starting from left going to right, it's right in the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25 is where we're going to begin with one another. Now I want to take a look at the very first rule breakers that were ever on the planet and whose pattern, honestly, we've, we've followed in throughout history. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. We'll, we'll dig into the scriptures a little bit here together and see what we can learn about rules in, in the scriptures. So Genesis 2 verse 25, it says this, the, the, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no, what's the next word? They felt no shame. They felt no shame. They're running around in creation shameless. If that was today, a lot of us would be running for bushes and all kinds of different stuff like that. We'd be, we'd, we'd know what it feels like to be shame, to feel shame. Now, what happens between this verse and the, what we're going to pick up here down in, in verse 6 of chapter 3, what happens is the enemy, Satan, our adversary, he comes and, and he enters the scene for the very first time here. And, and he starts putting doubt and whispering uh, doubt in, into Eve's ear. And basically tempts her and says, did, did God really say, don't eat of that tree? Is that, what really, is that really what he said? I mean, maybe it was metaphorical, maybe that was the, maybe that was the hard, fast rule, but I mean, maybe that was the, the, the letter of the law, but it wasn't like the spirit of the law. I mean, you know, there's a lot of different ways to get to, to the end of the tunnel, you know, maybe that's just not take that path, we should take a different path. And so doubt ensues, and doubt creeps up in Eve's heart and Adam's heart. And that's where we pick up in verse 6. So they go from feeling no shame, being completely free... In verse 6 of of chapter 3, he says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. In verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings from themselves. i got to be honest with you, I have never gone out of the house in the morning and realized, Oh, I forgot to put my pants on. Like the whole day, oh, oh, we're naked. Who knew? I mean, it's just, that's what's going on. Verse 8, the man, excuse, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
And they did what? What's the next word? They, they hid. So you notice that they go from feeling no shame, from being completely free and uninhibited, to now they're hiding. They're hiding from one another and they're, and they're hiding from God. And we've gone a huge, huge leap in just a short, short amount of time. So they hid from the Lord God from among the trees of the garden. In verse 9, but the Lord God called to man, where are you? Like you didn't know, right? Where are you? You know, just in the hide and seek. Where are you? We play hide and seek with God all the time, by the way. Verse 10, he answered and he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. I, I, I heard you in the garden and I was naked and so I hid. I, I, was, I was afraid. You realize that this is the first time in all of history, the first time in all of history in, in mankind ever felt shame. This is the first time in all of history that mankind ever hid from God. And we've been hiding ever since. And we've been hiding in our shame ever since. You see, in fact, some of us in this room, we've broken God's rules, Right? We've broken God's guidelines, his best plan for us and his word, and we've broken it. And so what we do, we actually think, we have this picture in our head about how God relates to man. And we actually, we actually think that, that God's this grumpy father figure who, when we break the rules, is hunting us down, looking for us. Adam, where are you? What'd you do? It's time to come get your whooping. I mean, that, that, we have that picture in our mind about God, and we relate to God in that manner. And so what happens is when we break his rules in shame... We run from him and we hide from him. And some of us have run so far and we've hidden so long and we're so deep in our shame that there's people in this room right now that the only reason, only reason you're here is because some cute girl brought you. And, and, and you're in this room right here saying, Paul, you don't understand what I've done. You don't know how far I've gone. Your God could never love me. I cannot tell you how many times I've had that, that same conversation with people because the way we relate to God, the way we orient ourselves towards God is this idea that God's this grumpy old dad who's getting ready to whoop us because we've done something wrong and, and broken the rules. And if you read for yourself, listen, if you read for yourself Genesis chapter three this week and you dig into the scriptures for yourself, what you're going to find is a conversation ensues between God and, and Adam. And basically, God says, hey, Adam, what's up? What's going on? Like, again, he already knows what's going on. But, but God's drawing Adam out. He, he's coaxing Adam out of hiding to move towards relational oneness and intimacy and to repair what's been fractured. And so he's asking these leading questions. Adam, where are you? Adam, what happened? And Adam responds. And Adam basically says, God... There was this really hot, naked chick, and she had fruit. What was I supposed to do, you know? In fact, God, if anything, it's your fault. You introduced us. And, and Adam begins to, to defer blame and shift blame from himself to, to people around him. And guys, men have been doing this for all time since this moment. Of making excuses and shifting blame to other people around us instead of taking personal responsibility. You guys realize for the first time ever, for the first time ever, because Adam and Eve didn't follow God's rules, 
they experienced relational isolation from him. They felt shame. They felt fear for the first time ever because for the first time ever, they broke God's rules. And so they hid from him. And could it be? Could it be that the reason God has given us rules, could it be that the reason God's given us parameters and guidelines and his best way to live life in the scriptures is not because he wants to bum you out, but because he wants to bless you. Because he sees what you can't see. And here's the deal. If you could see what God sees, you'd always do what God says. If you could see what God sees, you'd always do what God says. If Adam and Eve could have seen what God saw, no way would they have eaten that fruit and broken his rules. No way, because they, they'd never experienced relational isolation before. They, they had never experienced what it was like to hide from one another or to hide from God. They never experienced the consequences, the natural consequences of, of breaking God's rules before. No way would they have broken God's rules if they could have seen what he sees. Like most of you, um, I've broken my fair share of rules in my day. Um, particularly in my teenage years, I'll spare you all the gory details. Suffice, suffice to say, um, let's just say I let my parents stayed up a lot more sleepless nights than they should have, uh, like many of yours and many of you have. And uh, they have far more ulcers than they should ever have. I'll tell you one of my, in my more mild moments. It was my uh, kind of eighth grade junior high was ending and landing, and I was getting ready to be a big bad freshman for the first time. And um, I, I was that kid in school who had better things to do than go to school, okay? So that gives you a little bit of context uh, of what my teenage years were like. And so I'm, kind of last month of eighth grade, you know, we're getting ready to get out of there. We're top of the totem pole in junior high, and we're walking down the hallway, me and some buddies. And honestly, I don't know what came over me other than the fact that in between um, pre-adolescence and late adolescence, teenagers' brains don't work right. And um, it's a scientific fact. Their brains revert back to this whole, like, early childhood thing. And so my brain, all I can chalk it up to is my brain was broken. And so um, I'm walking down the hallway, and I wasn't chewing tobacco. I wasn't chewing gum. But I'm, 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 I, like, started spitting on the way down the hallway. And not at anybody, uh, but just, like, I don't know why. It just I decided I was going to spit. And so uh, this teacher, uh, she was my algebra teacher in the seventh grade. She saw this whole thing go down. And she comes out after me, grabs me by the back of my shirt, kind of one of these, oh, no, you didn't kind of things, and grabs me, walks me down to the principal's office, and this whole conversation ensues between me and the principal. Why would you spit? I don't know why I spit. Sometimes junior hires don't know why they do what they do. They just do. Their brains aren't working right. And so what's going on? I'm in this moment, and so what they do for a punishment for me, they don't give me in-school suspension. They don't give me out-of-school suspension. The principal's far more savvy than that. So some of you educators in the room, you take notice on this one. Use it. It's free. And so here's what happens. It's, it's, school's almost over. There's like a week left of school kind of thing. And they said, you know what we're going to do is this. On the last day of school, you're going to stay after school. I'm going to do what? I don't think you understand. I'm a big, bad eighth grader. I mean, I'm getting ready to be a freshman. I'm done with your puny junior high stuff, man. No, no. Once school's done, I'm done. You don't have no reign and dominion over me. No, no, no. On the last day of school, you're going to stay after school. No, you can't do that. School's over on that time. No, you're going to stay after school. And what you're going to do is you're going to help the janitorial staff clean up the entire campus. 
And if you're an educator in this room, you know how nasty that school looks on the last day of school. I mean, it's a whole year's worth of filth built up. And uh, like all the partying that goes on the last week of school and all that stuff like that. It's, it's a mess. And so here's what they made me do. He, they marched me out onto the, the courtyard area where all the buses picked up all the students and all my buddies who are getting ready to go off and be freshmen in high school. And I had to sit there and watch all my friends leave school and leave junior high. And in my shame, I had to sit there and, feel, and, and watch this thing go down. And, and I, in that moment, I knew what it felt like to be alone. I knew what it felt like to, to be ashamed. I knew what it felt like to, to, to feel hurt. Listen, every time we break God's rules, every single time, even if we don't know the rules, it always leads to relational isolation and hurt. Whether you know God, whether you don't know God, whether you know the rules, whether you don't know the rules, every time we break God's rules, it always leads to relational isolation and hurt. It was that way in the garden, and it's that way still today. It always leads us there. In fact, some of you guys know this inherently. Some of your most meaningful relationships that you guys have in your life, the people that matter the very most to you, those relationships are an absolute train wreck right now. And the reason why is because you've refused to obey God's rules when it comes to relationships. You've decided to play by your own set of rules and you've talked yourself into all kinds of stuff and you've decided to go outside the boundaries of what God says godly uh, honoring relationship is designed to look like in the scriptures. And as a result of that, your most meaningful relationships are train wrecks right now. Some of you in this room, you can't even see your children when you want to without someone from the state babysitting you while you go see your kids. That's real. That, that's real. Because rules have been broken. Some of you, you know what it's like to lose a job because rules have been broken. Some of you guys know what it's like to spend time in, in prison and in jail because rules have been broken. Some of you guys know what it's like to, to put your family and the people you care for most in, in financial jeopardy because, because rules have been broken. Some of you are, are struggling with addictions and you're moving closer and closer to that addiction and further and further away from the people that love you. Because somewhere, somehow along the line, you've rationalized in your mind and you've convinced yourself that the rules don't apply to you. Or in your shame and in your hiding, you've given up. And you've just said, forget it, I'm just going to go my, my own way. I've already run this far, I've already gone this deep, I'm just going to keep on, keep on going. Guys, see, breaking God's rules always leads to relational isolation and hurt every single time. And could it be, could it be that these rules that you and I bristle at because we don't like to be told what to do, could it be that these, these, these rules that God's given us aren't meant to bum us out, but they're meant to bless us because God sees what we don't. And if we could see what God sees, we'd always do what, what God says. And listen, honestly, it's not a real complicated thing to get our heads around about why we rebel against God's rules. Most of the time, it's because if we simply don't understand relationship with God. Break that down to its most foundational core issues. We don't trust God. And, and, and relationship, excuse me, rules without 
relationships always lead to rebellion. Every, every single time. This is why all you parents in the room, this is why when you tell your kids, no, don't touch that hot stove, and they got to learn the hard way. This is why every time you say, no, don't, don't, don't put that toy up your nose. And you got to go to the doctor. This is, this is why when you, when you say all those things like, no, no, don't, don't play with that light socket. Not that any of those things have ever happened in the Alexander household. All of them have. This is what, when you tell your kids, don't do this and don't, don't do this. You see what they don't see. And then they do it anyways. It's not just simple child curiosity. It's that, that they have a very healthy dose of, I don't think mommy and daddy know what the heck they're talking about in them. And listen, it's, it's kind of funny and cute with kids, but guys, listen, we don't grow out of that. We relate to God in, 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 in that same manner. The truth be told, you and I have a pretty healthy dose of, I don't think God knows what he's talking about in us. We don't trust him. And so as a result, we don't, we don't follow his ways. And listen, this, this is what you need to get your head around here to, today. If you don't hear anything, you need to hear this part of the conversation. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. See, God in his goodness, what he's chosen to do, he's chosen to cover up all of that shame that we feel. All of that rule-breaking tendency stuff that we drift towards. He's, cover, he's decided to, to cover all that stuff if it's in something called the cross. See, see, religion is all about us trying to work our way back to, to, to God. Jesus did something radically different. He worked his way back to us. And through his sacrifice on the cross, he, he covers up all of that hiding. He covers up all of that shame. And he invites us into, not into religion, not the absence of religious devotion, but he invites us into something different called relationship with, with him. And some of you in this room, I'm going to say, you've run so hard and so far and, and in your shame, you've hidden so well. And you've thought for so long that your God could never love me, Paul. You don't know what I've done. And I'm telling you, Jesus died to cover up what you've done. To erase your shame. So you can walk into, back into, towards the presence of relational intimacy with your Heavenly Father. And you can have what your soul really desperately longs for. And that's friendship with God. You see, see the rules, rules are all about us working our, our way back to God. See, other religions all, all around the world, uh, this whole rule stuff, what people hate about the Bible is rules. But all other religions around the world are all about mankind working their way back to God, following the rules. R- relationship with Jesus is, is completely different than that. It's Jesus working his, his way back to us. All these other religions around the world are all about advice of how we should live our lives. Relationship with Jesus is completely different. And it's not advice, it's good news. Completely different. You see, if following Jesus is not, it's not a religion, it's not the absence of religious devotion, it's something, it's something different. And if I take the religious route, if I follow the rules, eventually what I'm buying into is a self-reliance. 
What I'm saying is if, if I do enough good things, God will like me, that I'll earn his favor somehow in my behavior, and that he'll somehow I'll earn my way into heaven. And we're, be, we're leaning into self-reliance. If I take the irreligious route, the freedom route, basically what I'm leaning into is, is i got to prove my own self-worth as a person. And my life comes down to my, the bottom line, my take home from work or the title that I have behind my name or the house that I live in or the person I have a relationship with or the car that I drive or every other kind of image thing you could ever insert into your heart. Because listen, following Jesus is, is, is not about religion. It's not the absence of religious devotion. It's, it's, something, it's something different. It's not about the rules. It's not freedom from the rules. It's, it's something different altogether. And healthy relationships, listen, healthy relationships always naturally lead to rules. Healthy relationships always naturally lead to rules. I think about this. How many of you guys had house rules when you were growing up? Like half of you. Seriously. How many of you guys had house rules growing up? There was rules you had to follow in your home growing up. Right on. I had house rules as well growing up just like you did. My dad was a real stickler and you can't wear shoes in the house. He was really like keen on like just not make the house inside dirty kind of thing. And so what would happen is my brother and I, we, we grew up in an area of, of the country where we can go and play all day in the woods and we get sloppy, muddy, muddy, wet, all that junk like that. We'd come home head to toe just filthy being playing in the woods all day long and creeks and all that stuff like that and we'd come home and my dad was so serious about the house rules he would literally make us strip down in the garage before we came into the house that was an embarrassing shameful house rule okay if you didn't follow it it's just there's nothing fun about stripping down in the garage when you're 13 years old it's just it's as awkward as it is at gym at school okay and so all of that's going on when i moved out of my house my relationship with my parents changed And thank you, Jesus, so did the rules. You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, there was freedom, baby. You know? I I didn't have to worry about what time I had to come home. And I didn't have to worry about who I'm with and when I'm, all that stuff. The rules changed because my relationship with my parents changed in that moment. Before Before I was married, I could date any woman I wanted to. Maybe I should rephrase that. I could date any woman I could convince to date me. You know what I'm saying? But it was 17 years ago when my, when my wife and I got married, all of a sudden the rules changed. The way I related to other women, the relationships I had with other women, they naturally changed because relationships, healthy relationships naturally move towards rules. And marriage is exclusive. You guys get healthy relationships naturally move towards rules. Before my wife and I had 15 children and a minivan, before my wife and I had kids, I mean, she was working, I was working, we had so much disposable income, we could do anything we wanted to that our, our lifestyle could afford. And then when we had kids, I, I drive a minivan and go to soccer practice now. I mean, just everything changes. Healthy relationships naturally drift towards rules. Healthy rules. And here's the, here's, the, here's the big deal. Rules, when they're followed over time, you know what they build? Trust. And the best relationships on the planet are fueled by trust. The best marriages on the planet are fueled by trust. The people that you walk around with and you say, man, they're super godly. They love Jesus and walk with Jesus. It's fueled by trust. Because they lived within these, these parameters and these rules over an extended period of time. And there's trust that's been built up. Listen. Could it be 
that God didn't give us rules to bum us out, but to bless us. Could it be that God sees something that you don't? Could it be that when you bring rules and relationship together, it builds trust? And in that, the deepest longings of your soul are actually met in relationship with Jesus. Could it be that it's not religion nor the absence of religious devotion, but it really is something completely, completely different? See, could it be that you're in this room and you've been missing out on God's best for you? Because you've chosen to keep running in your shame. And you've chosen to keep hiding. And like a four-year-old or a 40-year-old, you've said, no, I don't want to listen to what you have to say, God. And you've rebelled because there hasn't been relationship. Could it be you're really missing out on God's best for you today? And could it be you're missing out on God's best because you've chosen to miss out on God's best? Because you've refused to obey the rules that he put in place in his scriptures. So here's my hope for you guys. Here, here, here's my wish for you, Cornerstone. As you have this conversation about what people hate about the Bible, here's my wish for you, is that you'd be a people who are courageous enough to actually open the Bible up and read it. And then have the courage to do it. I wonder if you have the courage this weekend to make decisions and say, you know what, I'm done hiding and running from God in my shame. I'm done doing things my way. I wonder if you have the courage to bring yourself back underneath the parameters and the rules that God's put in place for you to live life by. And I think you just might be surprised about how blessed your life becomes when you begin to live it the way the person who designed it to be lived When you start living life that way, you may be surprised what happens. Guys, let me, let me pray for us. I love you, man. It's super good to be able to hang out with you this weekend. And um, yeah, my wish for you, my hope for you, is that at the end of the day, the ultimate authority in your life wouldn't be your feelings, it wouldn't be your thoughts, it wouldn't be pop culture, it wouldn't even be what you think's right. But you'd have the courage to take God's word and submit your feelings, your thoughts, and your ideas, and your behaviors to God's word. And you'd make that the ultimate authority of your life. Because God didn't put rules in place to bum you out, but he put rules in place to bless you. Because he sees what you don't see. And man, I guarantee if you could see what he sees, you'd always do what he says. God, I love you. And the reality is, is um, we're rules adverse, man. Um, it's hard to, to listen it's hard, whether we're four years old or 40 years old, it's, it's hard to do what others tell us to do. We, we want to be our own person and go our own way. And um, I just pray for a cornerstone as a community of believers. Would you, help, would you help us put that to death in us? Would you help us change our thinking about your Bible and about rules that you put in place? God, that we would run towards you. That God, we trust you because you're worth trusting. So God, I pray that you take all this conversation, your word and all of it, man. And when in this moment, would you do what I can't? And would you shift our thinking about how we relate to you and your word? And it's in Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.